Hello, listeners. You're listening to the Manmukti Podcast, Stories of Stigma. I'm your host, Kiranleep, back with another episode in our Real Talk series, where the Manmukti Pod Squad shares their thoughts on mental health hot topics. And today, we're talking about mental health stigma. Hi everyone, I'm Kiranleep. I'm Audrey. I'm Drishti. And I'm Anand. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk. So I guess like the first thing that would be good to start out with is what does stigma even mean or what does that look like, um, especially in the South Asian community? What would you guys say? I think one thing that comes to mind for me is um, a lot of the times we're feeling in terms of mental health there's always this feeling of like there's something wrong with you internally and like I think that's one thing that builds up stigma it's like feeling like you're an outlier and like no one else really feels that way and I think that comes from like something I've noticed at least um with my friends and my experiences is that we have to fit into the community and if there's something wrong with you even mentally then you become an outlier and um, if no one else is feeling that way then you have trouble speaking up so it's like this feeling that you're not fitting in with the community or family um, and you're not like assimilating in that way I think that's definitely one thing I've noticed so you feel like stigma is out of the norm like if anything is out of the norm then yeah you're stigmatized yeah yeah exactly I I think I agree with you on that too and also there is just so much pressure to be that perfect person, although no one is perfect. So that kind of starts from there as well. What do you think, Anand? Yeah, I, I really, the more I'm doing the work um, in psychiatry, it seems like the stigma that like is generalizable versus just particular to South Asians say, is the stigma of, the stigma that comes from not really being understood as an individual and I think the easiest way to alleviate that is to ask a lot of questions, you know, questions that are not just like, you know, in the psychiatry world, we ask questions like maybe if any of you been to a psychiatrist, we ask questions like, oh, so you're depressed, huh? How's your sleep been? How's your appetite been? How's your energy been? How, how, are you feeling guilty about anything? That's one of our questions, legit, right? And it's like, no, it's like, how do you feel? How do you feel in this room? How do you feel making this appointment? How do you feel right now? Do you feel like this is going as well as you wanted it to, or is it going badly, right? Like these are the kind of questions that really invite a person to show up to as who they are rather than being some version of themselves to please somebody else. And that's, I think, where stigma originally comes from is having to satisfy someone else's notion of who you ought to be rather than being yourself. So the number of times where that simple line of questions has given me a lot of help and getting someone to come out of their shell. Um, it makes me wish more people asked me that question, honestly, right? Like not just in the clinic, obviously, but like in life, you know, how do you feel in this moment? Do you feel comfortable? What can I do to make you feel more comfortable? And none of this has anything to do with knowing what am major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar. These are all things that you can educate yourself about and still miss the point on this line of questioning. And that's so crucial. I feel like those questions are also so like they make talking about these things a lot easier because it's a lot easier to just describe like how your sleep is or how your appetite is 
or you know mm-hmm. just like those smaller things rather than explaining exactly your mood over like the past week or your mm-hmm. exact feelings because sometimes those are harder to put into words that's a good point because I think a lot of why there's stigma around mental health is that you can't see it you know most likely you can't see it um, whereas you can see like a broken arm you can see like a sprain or something but you can't usually see what's going on inside um, and so that is a good point. It's like, maybe it's easier to describe like, Hey, I've been sleeping really poorly in the last week rather than like, I feel sad or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just feel like a general blah. It's like feelings. I think we're still trying to come up with a way to like describe them or codify them a bit. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think it takes both, you know, I think you do need to ask just like, how are you feeling? You know, are you sad or happy or any other range of things just generally out there and then can you pinpoint it a little bit more like what are the symptoms mm-hmm. um so I think it comes from like just a fear out of the unknown and in terms of assimilation like I think about that um and I think it comes down to like just survival instincts like especially like with immigrants or like first generation or anything it's kind of like survival like you're trying to like the stereotypes that we have of you have to be a doctor lawyer engineer or anything like that Sure, I'm sure that was like back home too, but here it's like, well, that's what's going to get you ahead. That's what's going to like keep you here secure. Security and certainty is a lot, uh, plays a really big role. And I think that kind of ties into mental health too. It's like, it's a lot of uncertainty. It's it's wishy-washy a lot of times. It's, um, you can't put your finger on it. And and then it also, like you guys were saying, like it's kind of like an outlier, like keeps you outside. So almost like survival of the fittest in a way. I think that plays into it too. I did want to think out loud about this fact that a lot of times the problem is not that they're depressed, but that no one notices that they're depressed. Just talk about this kind of stuff with them and, uh, and bringing, bringing that stuff out of them, which requires so little, requires so little on our part in terms of knowledge or, or even um, cleverness or wittiness. It's just like listening and being like amazed constantly. That's how I approach it. Just be like, amazed constantly at what the patient says mm-hmm. and uh, that that translates so well to like talking to people about it be like oh my gosh you're like okay so you do have a great apartment you live in new york city you have any friend you want and yet none of them are speaking to you that must have been kind of weird to find out when you first moved there how long you've been there three years oh my god how have you done it so far well i don't know i just watched a lot of netflix <laughs> you know it's like kind of like that's that's the kind of conversations you get out of it and um, and it, you eventually go so far from the diagnostic criteria of these, of these disorders, but the, the trick of it is that you're actually doing the treatment while you're talking to them, you know? Yeah. Like you're saying, talk therapies is a huge part of what you're doing and it's really important as well. It's not just delivering someone the medication to fix mm-hmm. some sort of imbalance. It's, you know, it's social factors as well that can lead someone down that hole. And I think part of the stigma around it is they don't know how their loved ones will react or treat them afterwards when they admit that they haven't been feeling well or they haven't been feeling like themselves or, you know, because in general, I say people do drop clues. It's just a matter of whether their loved ones will pick them up and then run with it or ignore it because that does frequently happen within South Asian communities where it kind yeah. of just gets swept under the rug. Oh, okay, maybe they'll just deal with it. Or we don't, we don't want to know because we don't want this shame on our family or whatever it might be, right? 
I feel like it keeps coming down to this theme of just having a lot of empathy and like accepting because a lot of the times we don't really understand exactly what someone's life is and we put our own like based on that example that you just gave Anand with the guy living in New York like we don't know entirely what that person's life is going to be and so it's like very easy to just be like I don't really understand why you're sad and then there's like an image that we have based on our own experience of what that should look like so it's like I think it comes down to really act not actively listening but trying to get a deeper understanding of what that person's experience is that makes a lot of sense a lot of people are just trying to feel accepted and heard and it's like harder for us to do that because you have to get out of your own head to do that and really put yourself in the other person's shoes yeah I think that's a lot a lot of the stigma too is like it's not I think a lot of it is like self-stigmatizing like it being in your own head um that thinking like oh but okay I I can take care of it I can take care it's my emotions right it's my mindset it's my thoughts I should be able to control them and to some degree you totally can and then in on the other hand though sometimes it feels out of your control um, when it should be so I think that kind of back and forth and maybe I'm just talking aloud from my own (laughs) my my own experience (laughs) but I think a lot of it is is like just a kind of self-stigmatizing we do for fear of what other people will say but I think also like I should be able to take care of it. Like, it it shouldn't be that big of a problem. Do you feel like that self-stigmatizing thing is coming from other people, though? Like, that voice in your head? Or do you think that is entirely self? I mean, I I wouldn't... I definitely think there's, like, subliminal Mm. influence. You know, like, I I don't know if I could totally pinpoint to, like, oh, this person said this or will say this. Um, But, I mean, sure. Like, I do think about, like, oh, if if I told my parents this what would they say? What would they think? Would they feel bad that they did something wrong? So I think I would think about other people and part of it definitely comes from that. But I think on the other hand, it also feels like, oh, this should be something I can take care of my own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really hard not to make assumptions about how people around you will react. And that kind of gets us into a hole a bit. Um, And it's hard sometimes to ask for help because you don't want someone to repeat what you're already telling yourself because then it just feels like a bit of a lecture that you're already giving yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like ego kind of gets in the way as well. So in general, I guess stigma exists in that sense too, not just from societal pressures, but within yourself. You know, it's kind of, it reminds me of like, Anyone here with a sibling? I don't know, Drishti, if you have a sibling, do you? I have a twin brother, yeah. Which twin brother? Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think if you're like if you have a sibling, you know the feeling of it's like it's okay for me to make fun of them, but if anybody else makes fun of yeah. them, dead, you know. Yeah. And I think that's how we treat our own selves too. We're like, it's okay for me to talk shit about myself, but if anyone else does, it's not okay. You know. Oh, totally. And and that's not it's not really good. You know, it's like it's uh well at least it's not it's not bad it's not it's not good it's just something noticeable by yourself it's like well how, what's what how much shit talking do i do to myself on a, on any given day you know like how much do i talk like if someone else said this said this about my teeth audria would i be okay with it right you know it's, like, it's probably not you know and uh so i think we're worth uh it's worth thinking about that that's a common exercise also it's like you know like imagine yourself sitting on a bench and you're walking up to yourself you sit next to them, you know, and sometimes it helps to make, make yourself much younger, right? Like a, like a 10 year old Audrey, I'm going to keep using you as an example. Okay. It's a 10 year old Audrey is sitting on a bench and then 
you know, 30, are you 30 now? Mm -hmm. I don't want to remind you, is it 30? Mm -hmm. Okay, 30 year old Audrey comes and sits down next to the 10 year old Audrey. And then you have an opportunity to talk to this 10 year old Audrey and tell her stuff, you know? Um, that can be like a really healing experience for a lot of people, you know? I've heard of that like example a lot where you kind of imagine yourself talking to yourself yeah. when you're younger. There's like that version of it. And then there's also the version of like talking to yourself like you're your, your own friend and your best friend. Like when you catch yourself being mean to yourself, like, oh, why are you feeling this way? Like, just get out of it. Like, why are you crying? It's like, would you say that to a friend and then talk to yourself like you were talking yeah. to a friend? Um, yeah. I've actually tried that. Um, and it actually helps a lot because then you yeah. realize how, how much easier it is when you're nicer to yourself. Um, it, it felt really weird at the beginning. I was like, this is so awkward <laughs> but I think it was really really helpful for sure yeah, that's, that's super one of those cool. simple things that like it seems like cliche or things that you know you people have probably heard a lot but it truly was one of those game changers for me too when I when I really thought about it and it's like oh, it's not, like I would picture like my best friend and if she said the things that I was saying first I'd be like whoa you are really harsh on yourself but when I say it to myself it doesn't seem that like it doesn't seem so crazy, but if I think about someone else talking that way, I'd be appalled. I'd be, you know, I'd be like, oh my God, what are you thinking? So that was one of those like really just like simple things to to do, like either talking to your inner child or for me, it was like, you know, talking as if, you know, it was your best friend saying all those things. And that can make a huge difference. I've definitely been practicing doing a deeper dive into why I feel certain ways, like recognizing the emotion and then thinking, why do I feel like this? Mm -hmm. You know, and is it important? Is it important? And should I respond in a way that I need to seek support or can I just quickly get over this or move on from it? Right. Instead of just dwelling on it. Um, but yeah, those are really cool tools, either talking to yourself, as if you were a kid, which I don't think I've ever done that. I feel like I need to try that next time I just sit in silence. But yeah, having like a best friend that's you, but like more of like a badass bitch. That's what I do. <laughs> that's true. Like having you an alter ego, anything. that also helps. Yeah. <laughs> Have your own Sasha Fierce. You're right. <laughs> now I so The opposite, see, like commonly for, I think for a guy, the, that like, that, uh, What's that creature in Harry Potter that comes out of your wand if you're like a really good wizard? Patronus. Patronus, yeah. So my Patronus would be probably not like a tough guy, but like a like a soft guy, you know? Because that's the predilection of most of most guys, I think, is to act tough. And so they need some they need guidance and opening up, you know. So which is why I think relationships can be so great, is that your partner can um, can serve as that opposite force if you're if you're vulnerable with them the voice that permits you to be vulnerable or uh per, like such a lovely image of like a, a a guy with his girlfriend or you know whatever whatever combination of people but um saying you're, you're tough you got this you know which is what you're, you want your inner voice to say to you you know um so yeah but for commonly for guys it's like the most most of the guys i've talked to it's like well yeah i i'm a, I'm a little hard on myself rather than you know telling myself how to man up I need someone to tell me how to chill out you know mm -hmm. and it's kind of like that's what we're missing we're not really taught to trust people with our emotions let's say right so we don't tell people much generally that's a very interesting perspective yeah I was gonna say that's such an interesting switch because I guess for girls it's like the opposite where my inner 
voice or the voice I want to hear is it's like you can be stronger versus I guess like yours is like don't worry it's it's okay like it's like you don't have to be as strong yeah yeah Yeah, that's true all right guys so we talked a bit about what we think stigma looks like now I want to talk about why do you think this is happening within our community like what do you think is the root cause of all this I actually had a conversation with a therapist recently that I think goes really well with that question. She was talking about how in our culture, there's a lot of different hierarchies, um, like with age, with gender, with class, um, even caste sometimes. And it's like people at the higher part of the hierarchy set, um, not like explicitly, but there's these inexplicit rules about how we're supposed to be, um, like the type of job you're supposed to have, how you're supposed to look, um, how you're supposed to be in general. And um, it's like very important, she was saying, for most people. I mean, this is like just based on what she was saying and like her experiences for for us to fit like and be accepted by the hierarchy and fit in. And so when you are not matching those standards set by the hierarchy, then it's like there's something wrong with you and especially if you're just physically like unable to then there's like you start feeling very excluded and you're not part of the community and so like that's like one part that she's saying creates a lot of stigma because that's kind of what she was saying I I think yeah I would say like one thing that I could notice is like hierarchical nature like that South Asians have. It may be pre- present in other cultures too, but I think that's definitely something that I notice. And so that's a good point. Like maybe we're all trying to go by these inexplicit standards set by the higher higher rungs or maybe trying to achieve those higher rungs by, you know, fitting us into a certain mold. The tough thing is that it's like, it is both our greatest strength and our like our, our greatest uh, crippling factor because, you know, what she just describing is an outcome of having a giant network of people, you know? So like when I see Audrey's stories from the recent wedding she was at, I'm like, how does she know that many people, you know? And, and that they're, they're all so close, right? And, uh, and I feel the same way when I, like, every time I go back to work after a wedding, they're like, weren't you just at a wedding? I, I'm like, I know, it's crazy. This is my life. So at the same time, you got that, and then you got that you got to smile at everyone you meet. That's like the other side of it, which is like, okay, so I, sometimes I'm not really smiling on the inside, but I got to smile on the outside, you know? Mm. And that's where that's where the, the distance comes from, I think. So um, it kind of comes to the territory, I think. I think maybe we don't appreciate it. I think as Indian people, I, I think it'd be, I don't know, I like this, it helped me to think about it like this. Once I realized how many how many benefits come from that, uh, or at least the that the stigma comes with another side of it, like the the community, I was a bit more like tolerant of the fact that I was a little hard on myself. I was like, okay, well, this explains it. At least I understand why I'm hard on myself. That's kind of exactly what I was thinking about too, Anand. That's funny that you bring that up, that you had mentioned that you are hard on yourself and you want to kind of tell yourself, hey, just chill out. It's all right. You know, and I think that actually might be one of the roots because you want to A, be perfect because there's just societal pressure and that's just how it goes. And then B, you will push yourself towards that highest level of hierarchy, like um, Dursi was saying. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you don't have support to talk about it because you don't want to admit to anybody that you might not be 
at that level of the supposed top level of functioning in society, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the misunderstanding is that you have to be at that level to be anything in this world, mm-hmm. right? Which is absolutely not true. There are people out there living their lives that, you know, go through and suffer through mental health conditions that you wouldn't even know. And the lack of support and them not being open with their families and loved ones, I think kind of takes it a little back for them, but it shouldn't be that way. I just feel like it takes away their power a bit when they're not able to just be themselves and, and share everything and every portion about them. Because in a way, sometimes it's actually a superpower to be able to overcome, you know, these types of situations. Yeah, dude, that's just, did you ever notice that like, like the Indian communities, they're really cool and fun, but then you're like, where's the kid with green hair here? There's no kid with green hair. <laughs> like there's no weirdo. There's no really gamers, you know? Like there's I a certain there group. There are, just, it's just like, but they're not as obvious. That's what I'm saying. Well, they're, they're, not, they're not in the middle of things. Like they're not there, you know? Like well, their parents didn't want to bring them to the party. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, dude, that is so real. Yeah, the, they're like, hey, uh, you know, Rupa, come come to the party it's like nah I'm good come on Rupa I can never go anywhere yeah but I'm in, I'm in the middle of a twitch you know whatever they say I don't know what kids say these days but um <laughs> I like- think it's I think we're starting to break out of that more I think like with social media and just everyone having more of a platform to be there show their real selves on um it's a double-edged sword but I think like we are able to then see more personalities like actual personal things come up um, and I think like, I was, I was trying to think about it, like, you know, what is it that sets like the South Asian community apart? And I think it's maybe something we have, I remember learning this in some college course or another, but in East Asian culture, they have it too, where it's about face, you know, like about mm-hmm. keeping face and, um, you know, a physical face, like keeping a smile on or, but just about your honor, your, your face value and about keeping face. So having a mental health issue of any kind that would destroy face, right? And uh, having your child who has that condition that would destroy face. So it's all about kind of keeping up appearances. And I think that that tends to be stronger in our community, unfortunately. I just Uh, wanna add into this building on what Audrey is saying that a lot of conversations with people that I've had, that I've met throughout the years that either come to LA and we meet up for coffee or, you know, I've just been seeing what's happening on social media. And then we do like a deeper dive into what's really happening. I think when they're vulnerable with me, I have so much more respect for them. Totally. I just want to encourage anyone listening to this. If it's a safe space for you, use it and be vulnerable because you're going to gain someone who fully understands now what you're going through or at least taking that experience and then learning and educating themselves on how to be there for someone who might be going through something. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like you get to know the person, well, obviously get to know the person better, but it improves the relationship so much more because you understand them so much deeper when I guess both people are vulnerable because when one person opens up, the other person is also more likely to open up. I also wanted to add something to what you said about like keeping keeping a smile or keeping face I remember like growing up my dad would always say like oh like you're always supposed to be smiling like a woman is always supposed to be smiling and I feel like that is exactly tied to 
Um, yeah, I mean, I don't agree, obviously, but <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah, but he's not alone in that, right? Like, he's not Yeah. the only one who said that, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's like exactly where like that narrative is coming from. Are we the only generation? Or I guess, Thrissy, you're kind of a different generation. <laughs> <laughs> you're like a younger generation. How old is Thrissy? I don't know. I just turned 21. Hey, <laughs> Are you congratulations. kidding me? Yeah, I turned 21 like last week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, going back to what I was saying, are we that generation to start this conversation and say, okay, we got to drop this and start acting for our community? Like what, what do you think this improvement looks like from here on out? What do you guys think? It's a beautiful I think, question. I think it like really ties back to what Anand was saying at the beginning of like, listening to people and like really understanding them like that I think that example that he gave was like incredible of like how we really have to um deeply understand people and empathize with them because we don't know their full story and at the end of the day everyone's just trying to be heard so it's like giving people the platform to be heard and like to feel accepted is what it's probably one of the most important things at least from what I'm thinking right now And I also think like um, we are doing it, um, I think for the first time in, in at least one way, which is that we're, we're saying we're not okay. Um, but I think that the vulnerability is so, in, it's inherently painful. Like it'll never not be painful to be vulnerable and to say the thing that you really feel. So if you feel like it's easy, you're probably not doing it exactly right is what, I, what I've learned, right? So it's like, keep stretching yourself to the point that you're like, okay, this is kind of hard for me to say, you know? And that's when you know you're in the right territory of, of opening your soul up, you know, because uh, that tells you that you're kind of close to the nerve, you know? And uh, it's just kind of like working out, you know, like you should, you should if, you're, if you're trying to make gains, you got to go to the next weight. It's supposed to be a little harder, you know, next time around. And I distinctly remember this happening in my relationship and my marriage. yeah. Like it's easy the first few years when you're dating to just, you know, do all the happy things and go on dates and, you know, experience all the fun stuff, go to like music festivals and this and that. But when you get married and you commit yourself to somebody, you accept all their insecurities and vulnerabilities and you see them going through it. kind of like a cycle like oh this again okay it's going to be an issue let's talk about it um and I remember that distinct moment where I was sitting in front of my husband and I didn't want to admit to him what was my issue because I've never talked about it with somebody or admitted it to someone but then after I did the way that he reacted and thank god that he was supportive um it was more questions from him, you know, like what, why, when, that type of situation. So like on and you saying that vulnerability is painful when it, when it becomes painful, there's like a breakthrough. You're absolutely right on that because it improved so much more of the understanding between us. And even though you think that, oh, this person's going to look at me differently, it's all, it also builds that communication. In terms of your question about like, you know, are we the generation to break it? I mean, I can't speak of previous generations because I haven't lived it. You know, I probably have to ask my parents, but I would say that it, it has become more visible. I think like in the last few years, like immediately who comes to mind is like Deepika Padukone, right? And she has a whole initiative. And when that happens at the level of Bollywood or even Hollywood in our case, like 
when it happens at that level, that these people who have their whole job is to keep face, their whole job is about appearances, and they're able to break through that wall, that's massive. And that's really a symptom of, I, like, I don't know if that's happened in previous generations. I think we hear tragic stories, we hear tragic you know, suicides and um, you know, substance abuse uh, going on in Bollywood, but having that opened up to like mental health, I mean, I think that's different from the generation. And in terms of what it looks like, I think it's a, a, you know, kind of touching on what we've been talking about already, but just understanding that ironically, or seemingly ironically, that vulnerability actually raises you in other people's perspectives, like how they see you. Um, opening up, it usually only leads to better things. And opening up about how the struggles that you go through builds relationships, makes you look stronger than if you were just hiding everything on your own. So I think I think we're slowly, slowly beginning to realize that. I love that, Audrey. And I think one of the thoughts that I've had as you guys were talking is that, especially given Katie's story just a second ago, was vulnerability. I often see people being vulnerable in this specific way, which is to say something like, hey, I need some space. I have depression or something, some version of this, you know? Um, But I think that the more specific you are in what you're going through, obviously, you know, in proportion to how hard it is, right, to be specific, right? So, if you're saying rather than I have depression, but like rather than that, saying something like, I don't think I'm beautiful, right? That's a much harder thing to say. Um, so it's like, that's something if you say to someone you care about, right? Then they get a chance to, to do the thing that Katie's husband did so well, which is to just inquire, inquire how long you felt that way. Why do you feel like that? Um, how do you feel when you look at other people? Like this kind of stuff. And we have, we, we run the risk in like organizations like One Mukti and big mental health, I'll call it, right? Of just putting a broad brush over mental illness, being like, it's okay to not be okay. And we have these phrases that are okay, but like people just say stuff like, oh, okay, I just tell people I'm not okay, you know? But no, like if you if you narrow in on what it is that's painful to you, you grow a lot and 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 then you challenge yourself to find people who, who will listen to you. And, um, and it won't be everyone, of course, but you'll find yourself around the right people because that's who will listen to you. So I think it should be either it's okay to admit that you're not okay yeah. or it's okay to seek help when you're yeah. not okay. Yeah. That's right. And also that you're not alone. Like that's one of those other things, mm-hmm. like one of those kind of game changers that when you really understand that and it comes through talking to other people and being open about it, but that you really are not alone. It feels like it. It feels like you are the only person going through this but that is never the case. Like 110% chance, 11 times out of 10, you are not alone in feeling this. And that can be the most relieving feeling in the world because then you can talk to somebody about it and hey, they're making it, you can make it too. A bit later in the conversation, I asked Drishti, Anand, and Adria to share any personal experiences they may have had surrounding mental health stigma. And this is what they shared. I guess I have one example. Um, um, I guess a couple of years ago, I struggled a lot with um, like eating and body image and um, it was in high school. And so it was pretty early and there weren't like, I thought there was something weird because I, when, whenever you hear about these types of issues, it's always um, like a white woman or like 
some someone of that demographic. So I felt very uncomfortable, like even talking, like it took a couple of years for me to even talk to anyone about it because I felt like, oh, this isn't, this is, shouldn't be a problem for someone like me. Like mm. I have everything, um, you know, like I'm not in this, like, I don't know, I'm not part of that demographic. So like I shouldn't have this problem. Like no one really, no one brown I know has faced similar issues. And so I felt very uncomfortable talking about it and also because like in our culture food is so different like when you go to someone's house like you can't say you don't want to eat like that's like the most disrespectful thing to say like right. you know and you can't say no when you're full because they just put more food on your plate right so like the the language around food is so different as well um and then also when I started going to therapy like talking to the therapist because it was a white woman I didn't know that you could get um, a person of color as a therapist uh, was very young um, so like she also didn't really understand a lot of the dialogues that we have around food and body image as well so that definitely did make my process a lot more difficult because it wasn't honestly until probably this year that I realized like it's such a common issue in South Asian culture as well yeah I, I feel like it, that, it does totally fit and thank you so much for sharing that <laughs> with us I feel like we got to know you a little bit better now as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, you, you had mentioned that um, you didn't know that like you could seek help with someone that's South Asian. I'm curious, how was your experience with that? Did you felt like more comfortable or? Oh, like with the, with the non-South Asian therapist? Oh, you went with a non-South Asian. Yeah, my, my therapist was white because it was literally, um, I did it with the school counselor and there were like two people I could choose from and both of them were just white women. And I was like, I really needed help. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. Um, but my my more recent one that I have right now, she's Hispanic and my experience is so much better because like Hispanic culture and South Asian culture are closer aligned. So she understands a lot more about like my family dynamics and um, things like that. So it's a lot easier to explain and communicate with her. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that plays into the stigma too, because I mean, that's such a, that's such a really great example. It's like when we do hear or see about eating disorders, usually, you know, a white woman. And so then it, it may feel like, oh, well, brown people don't have this problem. Why am I having this problem? Or if you were to tell it to someone else, it's like, are you sure? Because we just yeah. haven't seen that. So yeah, representation matters. Yeah. I mean, you make the second person I've ever heard of with this and I'm, mm. this is my job, you know, so that's, that's incredible. Um, and thanks for talking about it. Yeah. So um, gosh, I think the only time I've ever gone through this personally was, was right before medical school. I was like really not having life. I was like, you know, like nothing is moving. I don't want any, I don't want to do anything because nothing really speaks to me. And I was like, I was looking around at everybody and I thought everyone was having the time of their life. You know, I thought everyone knew what they wanted and it was like, they were good at it. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know that they were performing. You know, I didn't know that people out there were just saying like, I feel great because it helped them feel great to say that they feel great, you know? And uh, so because of that, because I couldn't do that, I couldn't really say that about my own life. I struggled a lot and I'd tell people about it and they'd be like, just be happy, just be a little bit more cheerful and maybe it'll fix it, you know? And um, so that's, that's what I'm thinking of when I think of like what Katie's husband did for her and like what I do now for patients is like, rather than saying like, uh, just, just blank, 
just blank, you know, which is how these solutions usually come uh, come to take the shape of. Rather than doing that, to ask questions, right? To say, how long have you been feeling that way? Um, what do you think other people feel about their jobs? And just going through all these questions, it's so powerful. And and no one did that for me at the time, which I think really did put me in the in a dark place for a longer period of time than I needed to be. Obviously, obviously, part of the reason I was feeling down is because I wasn't talking to Audrey as much. I'll have to admit that I was. If I just called her, I would have probably felt better very quickly. But at the time, it didn't occur to me. And well, here I am now. You know, now you get to talk to all of us. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's so true. And with those, asking those questions. It's just getting you out of your head. It's like the same way journaling it rather than keeping everything in your head, it puts it out on paper. It's like when you put it out in the world, you can hear yourself and how strange it may sound, or you're just like letting out that mental burden. That's why, I mean, honestly, I can't stop talking. Like I talk to Anand, I talk to my friends, I talk to like anyone I can, because it feels better than like holding it in. I think about, okay, stigma that I've faced and thankfully, my parents, they've been pretty supportive about, they know that I go to therapy and they've been pretty supportive of it. They do ask, like, how is it going? How are you feeling? Do you feel like you need to still keep going? I think it, it's something relatively new for them. I don't know if, and that's the thing too, like, you know, talk about keeping things a secret. Like, I don't know if anyone else in my family goes to therapy or not um, in my extended family. But so in that case, I think this was relatively new for them. So it was different, but they were willing to be like, okay, no, our child is feeling some certain type of way. They're not feeling good. And this is something that may help her do that. We're going to support her in that. So i really grateful that that was their stance on it. But examples that I, I, that do come to mind of stigma is, you know, I've seen or heard about families where marriages will take place where one, like, and it's usually, unfortunately, where uh, the girl, it gets set up with a guy who has like a mental health condition and they're not aware of it. The girl and their family is not aware of it. The husband's side keeps it very hush hush and they're just trying to marry him off because that's the ultimate goal, isn't it, is marriage uh, that will just fix all the problems. And that unfortunately, I think that's what ends up happening is that marriage ends up being like, oh, that'll fix everything. Once they have a spouse to help take care of them and focus their attention on something, uh, it'll fix everything. And it'll also fix our image that, you know, this, there's nothing wrong with the son. Actually, no, I, I can think of like one of my girl cousins. She was, she's been going through depression for some number of years and it's not completely their fault, but the family thought like, okay, if we got them married off, if we got her married off, that'll fix it because it'll distract her. It'll distract everyone else too. But that's not the case because it's going to come out one way or another in an unhealthy way. And now it destroys not one, not two, but multiple lives. So I think trying to keep it under wraps, under these tight wraps, I've, I've seen that. And seeing marriage as the quote unquote solution for it. Um, I think the biggest example of stigma that comes to mind in terms of personal experience, it was kind of an indirect experience. So uh, one of my cousins, she, you know, had to be admitted to the hospital um, for psychiatric reasons. And after about six months, she, we met for Christmas. And like, my relative, her mom, she came over and she was crying about it. She shared her story. Um, and then 
being her being my cousin, I was like, do you want to talk what happened? You know, like we should talk about what happened. And so she gave me her perspective. And the thing that stuck with me was her saying, you know, my dad came to visit me only once while I was in the hospital. And the thing that he said to me was, why are you creating such a drama out of this? You're doing this for attention, mm-hmm. you know, and my heart was just breaking for her because in that moment, she, I highly doubt that she was looking for that type of response. I think what she needed was support and understanding and that's what she got. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a beautiful thing as well, because she now works as a psych nurse. Mm-hmm. So she took her experience, empowered herself, and now she wants to be there for people when they need it the most. Um, and after that experience, I really found out personally that I, I don't know how to be there for her. I really don't. I, I, I'm not experienced in this, having this conversation. And as someone who loves to chat about personal experiences, I'm the person that is like our family go-to person when they're going through anything. Um, I just felt like I needed to equip myself. So really, that was kind of the spark that lit the fire that I want to have more conversations on this and learn more about this and start a podcast and reach out to Manmukti. And now we're having this conversation here today. So I just wanted to share that story with you guys. Yeah, no, I'm so glad your cousin could turn that into, into such a positive experience and, you know, use that as a motivator to help others. That's, and it totally resonates with me that you're, you're the, you're the one to go to in your family. Cause you're like the one to go to here too. Yeah. Your mama bear. Thanks guys. <laughs> Once again, thank you for tuning in. Be on the lookout for an upcoming article shared by the Manmukti team on the topic of stigma. And definitely check out our website, www.manmukti.org, for more resources and stories. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to comment on any of our posts on social media or send us a DM if you have any mental health topics you want the pod squad to discuss on the podcast. In the meantime, remember to take care of your mind, body, and soul. This is Kiran Deep, signing out.